0: Welcome to Point by Point Conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. Welcome to Point by Point. This is Waller's Chief Business Development Officer and the host of the podcast, Morgan Ribeiro. Over the last six months, and since the devastating and very public murder of George Floyd, the topic of social and racial justice has been thrust into the limelight. The conversation has made its way to dinner tables, churches, political debates, social media, and the like. Today, I am joined by Drew Worth, a partner in Waller's Trial and Appellate Group, and Brittany Barnett, an attorney who founded the Buried Alive Project and who has recently authored a book, A Knock at Midnight, on the topic of social justice. Drew and Brittany, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. So great to be here. The topics of social and racial justice have received a lot of attention lately, as I mentioned in my introduction, and a lot of Americans have taken this time to become more educated and to open their eyes to the many injustices that have occurred over many, many decades. In today's conversation, I want to focus on what lawyers specifically do to engage in this time of great change. Brittany, first, I want to start with your career path. You were initially a corporate transactional attorney, but now your practice is more focused on litigation and getting the wrongfully convicted out of jail. How did you transition into this, this role and, and how did this come to be?
2: I'd always been really into the criminal legal system and its many flaws. But when I was a law student at SMU, I took a critical race theory course that analyzed the intersection between race and the law. And in this course, I learned about ridiculous disparities in sentencing between powder cocaine and crack cocaine cases and this 100 to 1 sentencing disparity that it created. So I could have 500 grams of powder cocaine. Another person could have 5 grams of crack cocaine, and we would get the same sentence in prison. And, you know, it's not lost on anybody, especially in 2020, that at the time in the late 80s, when these laws were implemented, more affluent white people were using powder cocaine and crack cocaine was running rampant in communities of color, in particular, black communities. And so this law that created this 100 to 1 ratio just had a very significant disproportionate impact on people of color. And as I was researching this paper in law school, I wanted to really humanize the issue. So I it came across the case of Sharonda Jones, a woman serving life without parole for her first conviction, felony or otherwise, a federal drug offense. And her case just tugged at my soul. You know, I couldn't let it go. And all the while I was on a path to practice corporate law. I had gotten a master's in accounting. I was a certified public accountant working at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And so just the natural trajectory of my career was corporate. And I did. I went to practice corporate law, did corporate finance at Winstead in Dallas, and went on in-house to practice mergers and acquisitions at Oryx USA Corporation in Dallas. But all the while, even as I was helping move millions and billions of dollars in deals by day, I was still working pro bono on Sharonda Jones's case and cases like hers. And so the transition for me really stemmed from that critical race theory course in law school and just getting really heavily involved as a corporate lawyer in President Obama's clemency initiative. Gratefully I worked on Sharonda's clemency petition and President Barack Obama graciously granted her clemency. And so after 16 years and nine months, Sharonda Jones was freed. But these life without parole sentences for drug offenses, just I didn't understand them. There's no parole in the federal system. So people are set to die in prison. And that really propelled me as I got more into the Obama Clemency Initiative that it was time for me to to make it what was a difficult decision to leave corporate law to really follow my passion to help transform the the system.
0: Now I'd like to hear more about your personal story as I know that had a great impact on your true calling and pursuing this career path.
2: Yeah, I grew up in rural East Texas and had a happy childhood. You know, I played sports, my mom was a nurse, my stepdad worked at the local coal mine, but All that while, my mom was suffering with a severe drug addiction and her drug addiction just... Ultimately, it got worse and led to her receiving eight years in prison. Mom, every day in this country, you know, there are over two million children with a parent who was incarcerated. And it's devastating. There's something about your mama being in prison. It just causes this primal wound. And that situation for me brought me so close and proximate to the suffering of people in prison and knowing that they're all mothers and fathers and daughters and sons. You know, it really showed me the heartbeats behind the statistics that we hear about, the heartbeats behind all the stories that are told and all the tough on crime rhetoric. And it really was an experience that was devastating for my sister and I. I know that when one person goes to prison, the whole family goes to prison. And so that experience, you know, really opened my eyes to suffering of people behind bars and the people beyond the bars. And that includes their family members and loved ones.
0: You and and Drew met a few years ago while working on the Chris Young case. Drew, can you give me more background on on your practice and how did you and Brittany ultimately end up crossing paths?
1: I do litigation at Waller and have done litigation at other firms. I also started out at a big firm in in Texas. I worked at Jones Day for a couple of years and you know my parents they they were doctors and and they always talked about not doing things for the money and that sort of thing and I think while I went into a corporate practice of law, that kind of insight drove me to try and find some balance in my career with regards to doing pro bono work. And I kind of bounced around in that regard. When I moved back to Nashville, I clerked for a few years for uh, Just Trauger here in the middle of Tennessee, and you kind of see all manner of cases, including drug cases and that sort of thing. When I got back into private practice in 2011, I still kind of was looking to do pro bono opportunities. At my old firm, one of the partners who worked there, a great criminal lawyer named Jim Thomas, he put me on Chris's case. And Chris and two co-defendants had been convicted of crimes at a federal trial.
0: So now can you tell us more specifically about Chris's case and his conviction and nonviolent drug crimes in 2014?
1: So Chris had a very challenging upbringing. He mostly raised himself. He didn't have a father that he knew. He had a mother who had a lot of drug issues. And he and he bounced around from house to house. And as a lot of people do at that age, they they find themselves with the wrong crowd and Chris was no different. And he found himself, you know in a crowd that that got involved with drugs and he had some run-ins with the law when he was younger and one night he was at a gas station with a guy who was ultimately charged being involved in this drug conspiracy and when that guy was arrested Chris was arrested too and they ultimately charged Chris with being involved in this drug conspiracy and under laws that fortunately don't exist anymore but existed at the time because Chris had two prior drug convictions the government could file a document in court and that said this individual has two prior drug convictions. If they're convicted of this drug conspiracy crime, the only sentence the judge can impose is mandatory life in prison. Judge judge has no discretion. And that's the situation that Chris found himself in. He went to trial and he was convicted. And so he faced mandatory life in prison. And at the hearing where he was sentenced, it was very remarkable. Judge Sharp, who has since left the bench to do most of plaintiff's work. He said, this is, this is a travesty that I have to sentence this at the thing at the time Chris was 22, 23 years old. I have to sentence this 22, 23 year old man to, to prison for the rest of his life for a nonviolent drug offense. And, you know, during that hearing, Judge Sharp asked Chris if he had anything he wanted to say. And Chris stood up and gave a 20-minute soliloquy about everything that he'd learned, philosophers, history, all that sort of thing. And, you know, just said that if he ever had the chance to get out, he would invest in learning even more. And he was going to use the opportunity in prison to continue to grow. And I wasn't there, but I imagine there were people in tears, you know, and so... Chris was sentenced and we got his appeal. We did his Sixth Circuit appeal and we made constitutional arguments and raised challenges to the the trial. And the Sixth Circuit denied our appeal and the Supreme Court denied what's known as cert. So they they didn't hear the case. And I had followed it, but it was always something in the back of my mind that this was an awful thing that had happened. But it wasn't until Brittany contacted me in the summer of 2018 that I became re-engaged on the case.
0: Brittany, what were some of the legal arguments around the case and freeing Chris of his convictions.
2: Just to show how atrocious the sentence is that Chris Young received and how I talked to Shavonda Jones and how some cases just tug at our souls. When I reached out to Drew, I was reaching out to him because I knew he had worked on the appeal but I was seeing if he knew any other lawyers who may be interested in working on the habeas relief that was the only option left for Chris and Drew, because the case still tugged at his soul, he offered to help, which made my, my search a lot easier. I'm just really grateful for that, but it shows how impactful this case is. And as Drew mentioned, he worked on the appeal and they had all of these amazing constitutional arguments about why Chris's conviction shouldn't, shouldn't stand. But what I found is as lawyers, especially as it relates to the criminal legal system, that we are forced to work within the bounds of laws that are outside the bounds of moral consciousness. And so even though Drew had all these arguments that anyone with common sense would say these are legitimate reasons for this conviction not to stand. It just hit roadblocks in the court. And so for Chris, unfortunately, in a drug case, there's not a lot of ways to get around around that. But in Chris's case, we found after digging through hundreds of pages of trial transcripts, interviewing past lawyers and, and other witnesses, we found that there was some substantial evidence against Chris in the form of wiretap phone calls that he was not aware of prior to going into trial, even prior to turning down this 14-year plea offer that he received before trial. And so we started going down this path of maybe our only option here is ineffective assistance of counsel. During plea negotiations, Chris's trial lawyer had a duty to ensure that Chris was properly informed so that he could make an educated or informed decision about whether or not to reject a plea. And unfortunately, he didn't have that opportunity. And so not knowing about this evidence that the government possessed, Chris chose to go to trial and that uninformed decision cost him his life. So we wanted to argue that constitutional violation for Chris.
1: Yeah, I was delighted when Brittany called. I I was delighted to have the chance to help. And she and her team had done amazing work in terms of developing this argument and getting it ready for this next phase, which was going to be the habeas relief. So we worked on that and we filed the petition in October of 2018 and just hope for the best. So
0: this case involves some pretty interesting twists and turns along the way, including the involvement of Kim Kardashian West and Donald Trump. So Kardashian brought Young's case to the national spotlight when she shared a tweet from Brittany's organization, the Buried Alive Project, which focused on Young's case and sentence. Tell us more about this particular element of Chris's path towards justice.
2: I had worked with Kim Kardashian on the Alice Johnson case and Alice Johnson had received clemency from Donald Trump in the summer of 2018. And Kardashian- a very active role in that release. After Alice Johnson was free, I told Kim about Chris's case and she immediately wanted to help. She was educated about the issues for me. That is something that I definitely applaud of her, that she doesn't step into these issues blindly. And because of that, you know, she went back to the White House to try to get clemency for Chris Young. From my perspective, just as an attorney working on these cases, we have to pursue freedom from all angles and freedom is not linear. It's not a linear process. And we have to work it, whether it's through the courts, Congress, or through clemency. You know, and so in this case, Kim's involvement was very helpful. And though we weren't successful in securing clemency for Chris Young, using her platform, it made a lot of people aware of this issue that people are serving life without parole sentences for these federal drug crimes, very low-level ones at that. And so, you know, it takes a strong team. And influencers are very helpful in using their to help amplify the issues. All the while, it still takes lawyers on the ground to do the work, to break chains.
1: I think this was the first case that... I've worked on that the president of the United States was meeting with Kim Kardashian about, and it will probably be the last one, but it's not just about the publicity. The reason that Chris is ultimately in the much better position that he is now is because of the work that everyone's done. Brittany has an amazing team of people who work for her, law students and otherwise, who dig through the case law, who dig through the file, who who find the evidence, who find the experts that are needed to make these claims. And the difference between someone rotting in jail for the rest of their life and having decades of freedom to be contributing taxpaying members of society is that work 99% of the time.
0: Brittany, I'd like to switch gears. I mentioned your book, A Knock at Midnight, in my introduction, which was just released back in September. And this is your memoir of growing up in rural East Texas, sort of the path you took with your career as a result of some of your own personal experiences. Can you give us a brief summary of the book?
2: So my book is about my journey and just a journey that transformed my understanding of injustice in the courts, of genius languishing behind bars, and quite frankly, the very definition of freedom itself. The book is a memoir, and it follows my life as a young girl growing up in rural East Texas to becoming an attorney that uses her platform to help free people from human cages. In your book, you note that it's not
0: necessarily about the wrongfully accused, but the hyper-punished. I think that's an interesting distinction. And for those who are corporate attorneys listening
2: in, can you speak more to this? My clients sold drugs, and that is a point that's beyond debate. They accept responsibility for their actions, but the quantity in these federal drug cases and beyond is often exaggerated with little to no evidence. And that leads to the punishment just far exceeding the crime. There is no logical explanation as to why Chris Young was serving life without parole for a low-level drug crime he was convicted of that occurred when he was 22. It is just both morally and economically unjustifiable. That's what we mean by hyper-punished. This isn't the Innocence Project. My nonprofit is called the Buried Alive Project, and it is solely focused on people who had some involvement in selling drugs and know that there are consequences that come from that. But the consequence should not be them spending the rest of their natural life in prison. That is just not justice.
0: This has been a really educational discussion and has certainly opened my eyes. For those listening in wondering, what can I do? to make a difference. You know, I think I think many of us have felt inspired to do something, to, to act on social and racial injustices that have come to light over the last six months or so. What do you have to say to those who are wondering, how do I get involved, particularly attorneys who are looking for a way to serve?
2: You know, I would say for lawyers, doing pro bono work is necessary for us to push forward this movement to transform the criminal justice system. There aren't many professions, you know, where you can actually save a life. Doctors, firefighters, police, perhaps. But as lawyers with cases like Chris Young's, we're in a position to to save his life, you know, and Drew, I think the listeners would be happy to hear with Chris's case, even after years of work and dedication, we, we stuck in there. And because of that, just recently, Chris Young's life sentences were given back, as I like to say, to the federal government. And his sentence was reduced to 14 years, which is an amazing feat and victory, you know, and I'm so blessed to have been a part of the team, having Drew on the team, linking arms to to have literally saved Chris Young's life. And, you know, sometimes we have to take time after such long fights to really relish in the fact that we won. Lawyers can really use their skills to be able, especially if they're passionate about this issue, you know, to be able to volunteer and help with some of these cases, for sure.
1: I would echo that. I think one of the challenges that pro bono work Presents is it can be very challenging to find your fit. And a lot of times, working in firms, they have initiatives where you go staff a clinic or You take this subset of cases, and a lot of times you can find yourself in a more administrative or bureaucratic, low-level part of the justice system that can be very frustrating, and people get turned off by it. So what I would say generally to lawyers about pro bono work is you shouldn't do it just to do it, and you should do it because it matches a passion. And I think, to Brittany's point, right now, a lot of people are finding passion in this social justice. Movement that was sparked by the murder of George Floyd. And it presents a natural opportunity to use resources like Brittany to find pro bono opportunities that fit within this movement. But even if that movement is not your passion, lawyers can do so much good and help so many people if they match their passions and their causes with the opportunities that present themselves in the legal field. So if you feel like you know intellectual property theft is a major issue that you are bothered by, there's plenty of opportunities to work with content producers and artists and people that don't have a lot of money necessarily, but want to protect their work. So there are opportunities across the board. But the reason this was such a profound experience for me was because it matched passion with opportunity.
0: Right. And even if, you know, Brittany, I think you're a great example of even if you're a M&A or, you know, corporate transactions attorney, even if your passion is over here, you don't have to be a trained litigator to help those in need. I think that's really important we're having this conversation. It's right now in the midst of pro bono month with the Bar Association. So I think it's a, a timely discussion of trying to push that that forward because there's certainly a great need for attorneys with a variety of different skill sets and sort of giving back. So
2: anything that you all want to, to add for our listeners? No, just a reminder, you know, that lawyers, we are needed in this movement and there's just nothing more urgent than freedom.
1: And go on Amazon and, and buy A Knock at Midnight because it's a great book.
2: And buy my book. You'll learn more about Chris Young, too. And Drew's mentioned...
0: I'm going to need your autograph, Drew. When did your book
2: come out? It just came out last month on September the 8th. So it's, it's newly birthed into the world.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm sure you didn't think you were going to be doing that from your home office, but here we are. Here we are. Soon you'll be on a, a book tour. I hope so. Well, thank you all so much. I had enjoyed our conversation. Brittany, nice to meet you again.
2: Nice to meet you too, Morgan. Thank you so much for this.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more.